we are not alone historically or spiritually. In a way, that's good news in and of itself. Ours remains a question of survival, a perennial question, and whether survival is good enough. In the name of the Holy Living One, Amen. At home, we have a stack of shelves for Daniel to store his toys. Any of you who have raised children know that whenever you provide a storage place for toys, things keep getting crammed in until they're sticking out all over. And I just share that story with you today because my sermon today was originally a bit like that. And it sort of dawned on me about halfway through delivering it this morning at the 8 o'clock. So I'm revising as we go. So please bear with me. Yesterday, as I was coming back from a retreat with our vestry, I checked my email and discovered that I had uh, received four emails just yesterday alone concerned with illness. And since today's gospel is concerned with illness, it seemed to be very apropos. There have been a lot of viruses and colds going around. Some people aren't here this morning for that reason. Some people have survived that at the Redwoods Retirement Community recently. All of us who have small kids know what they're like. They're like little Petri dishes, and they carry these things home from school and deliver them as great gifts, and then we have to deal with them. Of course, if we think about it for very long, we all sort of feel like Simon Peter's mother-in-law at this time in our shared history. Without going into all the details of the economic crisis, this week we waited for the government to act, and we learned once again Winston Churchill's immortal words when he said, democracy is the worst form of government, except all those other forms that have been tried from time to time. It's a way in which our country, our nation, our world is reflecting our own sense of malaise as we frequently come down with flus and colds and viruses. Also, this week we celebrate the 200th birthday of Charles Darwin, who changed our whole view of how the biological world works. And it creates some distance between us and the gospel today, because in the gospel today we hear all this language about illness related to demons. But the thing we share in common with the first century people who heard this gospel for the first time is the demons were just as capricious and unpredictable and difficult to control as our viruses and Ponzi schemes and bacteria, and evolutionary processes in our own day. And so this morning we all straggle in with all of this on our minds and hearts. And I am reminded most deeply of Isaiah's words this morning 
when the prophet writes, even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. It feels like that, doesn't it? In the language of my generation, younger generations, I really grok that right now. I feel it right here in the core of my being. And the sheer exhaustion with all the infections going around and the malaise and the ills of this world. And yet we continue to run ourselves ragged and we wonder why. Where are we headed? My particular generation, appropriately enough, has been named by some sociologists the survivor generation. We survive. We get by. We survive the fractious generation that came before us, the fractious families, the fractured lives. We live through those calamities, and then we engage with another one and learn to survive that one. We've inherited the weight of the economic structures and obligations created by our parents. And we've inherited the bill on the deferred maintenance for the infrastructure that was built by our grandparents. And so we're constantly wrestling with the existential question about whether it is it, it excuse me, whether it is enough to simply to survive. Of course, Charles Darwin might say, yeah, survival's good. That's how it all works. But it's not just that piece of it that's enough, because this is a question that even bothered the ancient Israelites who were living in exile when this passage from Isaiah was written. The good news of that, of course, is that we're not alone historically or spiritually in this time of crisis and trial and illness. Ours remains a question of survival, and it's not just my generation. It's all of our generations. For the ancient Israelites, the questions went like this. Who is God without a temple? Who is God without Jerusalem? Who is God when our fortunes have been taken from us by advancing armies of soldiers? Who is God when our grand plans lay not simply at our feet in ruins, but the very context for those plans? The world we thought we knew so well is suddenly altered and completely swept away. Who is God when we are laid up in bed, ill? Do we utter, as the Israelites did in Babylon, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? Or do we shrug our shoulders in the post-Darwinian world and say, heck, it's just survival of the fittest? But Isaiah answers all of our malaise these days and the ancient Israelites with a compelling statement. The Lord, the prophet writes, is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Not the tribal God, 
not the partisan God on our side or on the other side, not the capricious God who is angry one moment and delighted the next, not the wrathful God when we are naughty, nor the providential God when we are nice, nor the God who will give us the perfect stimulus package or finish our evolution, finish our growing selves with one great wave of the divine wand, but the God of all being, the God who holds our ends and our beginnings and walks with us at every step of the journey, the God who holds even our best hopes and dreams with a tender embrace that defies even our most generous imaginings. Isaiah insists that the ancient Israelites and we too keep hope alive, even as we await renewed strength. The promise is that we will be ultimately taken by the hand and lifted up like Simon Peter's mother-in-law. The trick is not to fall into the same trap the disciples fall into when they go out looking for Jesus in the morning and say, everyone is looking for you. Why? So you can restore us, so you can put things back to the way they were. But the text very closely shows us that Simon's mother-in-law, when she is raised up, begins to serve again. And Jesus' response to the disciples is that I am doing this not to put things back the way they were, but to spread the good news of transformation. In that sense, Darwin comes into contact with our deepest faith, and that is we are a people who are growing. We ask too little if we ask for restoration, but the hope that Isaiah demands we come to is a hope that calls not just for the old strength, but for a new strength to rise with Christ's gift of transformed life from the beds of all our illness and begin to serve anew. It seems to me, my brothers and sisters, that faith is found in the willingness to keep on keeping on, trusting not necessarily the strength that we have right now, but trusting in the strength that we will receive as we move forward. To trust that God in Christ is coming and is already at work among us, that we may one day grow up enough to mount up with wings like eagles, and soar not on our own merits, or on our exorcisms, or on our cures, but upon the grace that God offers each and every day in the common made holy, in the faces and hands of our sisters and brothers around us, and in the gift of each and every creature and grain of sand and breath infused with the spirit 
of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley, dot org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to be able to greet you in person very soon.